welcome to you all. Um, it's great having you here. And welcome to the folks watching online. It's great having you here as well. All right. So it's my pleasure to introduce our Digital Dialogue speaker today and also the speaker for our Extra Hacking event tomorrow. Um, I first got to know um, Kimberly Bain last year um, when she applied to be one of the Adhume scholars um, and was fortunate enough to work with her over the spring on uh, the brilliant work that she is doing. Um, so it is great to have her here to talk more about it. Um, Kimberly Bain is a PhD candidate in English and interdisciplinary humanistic study at Princeton University. Her most pressing intellectual interests include the history, theory, and philosophy of diaspora, race, gender, postcolonialism, enslavement, flesh, environmental racism, resistance, embodiment, and subjection and subjecthood. Her dissertation, entitled On Black Breath, of Theory and Praxis, takes seriously the charge of I can't breathe, and considers breath as more than a mere metaphor, rather as also a somatic and socio-political phenomenon that has resonances in the wake of enslavement for the contemporary moment. Uh, Kimberly is affiliated with the American Studies Program, the Department of African American Studies, and the Center for Digital Humanities at Princeton. And you can find more information about her online. Please join me in welcoming Kimberly Benny. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for the introduction, Trevor. And thank you so much, Pradam, for the wonderful invitation to be here. Um, also, many thanks to the MIT staff who keep this whole center running. Um, also, Stephanie for setting up food for everyone to eat who came to the lunch before this. Um, I have a bit of a cold that I'm getting over, by the way, so I'll be, my volume will be variable as we're going along, um, so bear with me. Um, I'd also like to thank the UMD staff who cleaned this room, cleaned this space, cleaned the entire university, and keep everything running because, to be quite honest, none of us could do any of the scholarship we're doing if they weren't actually doing the work that they do for these spaces. Um, and also, thanks to all of you for being here physically and virtually, um, hopefully mentally or existentially as well. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Um, you know, so like I said, I'm getting over a bit of a cold. So that includes sometimes some intense coughing fits. I'm gonna try to keep those to a minimum by speaking really slowly. As you guys can tell, I talk really fast normally. But I'm gonna try to rein that in um, to deal with my, my coughing fits, which I think is really ironic because I'm about to talk about black breath. And here I am coughing a lot. Um, you guys can laugh, it's fine. Um, and it's also really unfair, I, I think. Um, so I'd like you guys all to think of my coughing fits as performance art. I know we have a couple of uh, people who study that in the room. Um, and for those of us online who are watching or later on when there's a video, please feel free to make a GIF of it. Um, yes, I say GIF, I don't say GIF. Um, I don't care what Steve says, the creator of it. Um, I'm correct. Okay. so. There are three parts to my talk today. Um, I'll, the first one's a little bit longer, the second one's a little bit less long, the third one's pretty brief. Um, first, I'm gonna introduce the larger project from which Whole Space comes from. Um, second, I'm going to show you guys some pieces of Whole Space and expand upon the theoretical and creative energies that drive the project um, and some of the methodologies that center the work. Um, and for those of you who are gonna be here tomorrow, I'm also gonna be in conversation with the wonderful Aaliyah about the project, so that's where I'm gonna actually do a little bit more of the in-depth uh, look at the project itself, because I don't wanna give away everything um, all at once. Um, and then finally, I'm gonna end with Where Whole Space, uh, which is a forever project that is pending and also in progress, as I like to think of it, might lead us uh, and leave us. And so when I wrap up, um, I'd also like us to really make it a dialogue. Uh, one, because again, when I'm talking, the coughing comes, so it'll help me out a lot if we can all be part of this conversation. Um, but also because it's you know, meant to be a dialogue and I really enjoy that and I like to get to know everyone's you know, faces and names a little bit better. Because um, I think I remember most of the names as you guys went around, but I try, I'll try my best. Um, and then on the last note, I know this is a lot of prefatory material, but on the last note, um, there's a clip that I'm gonna play throughout the presentation. Right? It's gonna be the first clip I play. And the first two times I play it, I'd like you guys to just listen to it. But then afterwards, I'd like you guys to actually try to follow along with the breathing that's in that clip. Um, if you're a person who has like, asthma or difficulties with breathing or anything, obviously, please be careful with yourself. Um, but I just like that to be part of like, the presentation itself. And I want us to talk about that at the very end, perhaps at the Q&A, right? OK, let's get started. <clears throat> 
part the one, black breath. Remember to breathe. is a future past, I and you and we have work to do. Again, try to breathe, but not yet, actually. <laughs> with terror and confusion, the scene commencing in media res with a black man on the run. His clothing, his skin color, the sound of dogs barking in the distance, marking him visually and orally as fugitive. How long he has been on the run, how he ended up being found by slave patrols, what his plan for escape was, we are not privy to this information. Instead, the immediateness of his fear directs us to the ever closer dogs, and the persistent slave catchers with their torches and their intent to find, shackle, and return the man, named Noah, to his owner for a hefty sum. What propels both fugitive and viewer forward in the scene is breath, far more so than the visual, which is dark and tumultuous and leaves one straining to see. The soundtrack speaks directly to an embodied and enfleshed experience. The breath we hear is a remix version uh, the Breathing in Kanye West's Black Skinhead, a song which is rich in heavy drum beats, synth sounds, rock influences, and the struggle for air. prevalence of breath, principally in pants, but also present in West's screams, and even in the harshness of the inhales he takes in between lines and verses, scratchy and hoarse, emerges as a bewitching axiom upon which any analysis of this scene of failed flight rests. Noah's efforts to outrun his pursuers are denoted chiefly by panic pants, overlaid and merged with the harsh pants of West in Black Skinhead. Breath is at work here in this scene, in this audio clip, in West's song, because there exists an arterial line between blackness, how it is produced, how it is lived, how it is imagined, and the ostensibly everyday act of breathing. We can turn to early literary, literary examples which explore panting as a phenomenology of black fugitivity. Harriet Jacobs wrote in her incidents in The Life of a Slave Girl, every day for a fortnight if I looked out I saw horsemen with some poor panting Negro tied to their saddles and compelled by the lash to keep up with their speed till they arrived at the jail yard. Frederick Douglass, too, had something to say of panting in my bondage and my freedom. I nevertheless looked forward to an escape to the North as a possible means of gaining liberty for which my heart panted. What Jacobs, Douglass, and so many others apprehend is the necessary relation between panting and fugitivity. When Noah hides beneath the roots of a tree to conceal his presence from one of the slave catchers, all other instrumentals for the song cease. We are left only with the sound of Noah's and West's panting, quick and uneven, as Noah is barely perceptible to the viewer. 
Noah's breath is all we have to mark him by. As the patrol stands on the tree roots immediately above him, Noah is compelled to cover his mouth and nose to muffle his breathing in order to forestall detection. And he fails. His breath scripts his presence, his location, his existence, his fugitive body in ways he cannot yet camouflage. Okay. I'm gonna play the clip now so you guys are ready to practice the breathing stuff, okay? work. When do we inhale? When do we exhale? What are the rhythms of this kind of breathing? Erratic, staccato, absent. Do we follow these rhythms? What kind of affects? Panicked, desperate? For how long must we hold our breath? And do we have enough space to breathe again once we let it go? Who is breathing? Why don't some of us breathe like this? Why do others breathe this way all too often? Why does this kind of breathing exist at all? This breathing, panicked, labored, difficult, and full of work, is part of what I call black breath. Black breath is a heuristic for understanding how blackness has been constructed socially, politically, economically, environmentally, biologically, and so forth. The construction of blackness, and with it the fine-tuning of the process of racialization, has been central to the project of modernity since the 15th and 16th centuries, extending into the present moment and futures we imagine. It is no surprise then that something like breath, variably called pneuma or the Holy Ghost or spirit or anima, becomes central to how racialization operates. What I'm arguing then is that in addition to the visual schemas upon which race has been built, the stigmata of racialization in fact becomes embedded not merely in the skin or on the skin, but in far more everyday processes of the body. The everydayness of these processes making way for more clandestine, more attritional, and much more slow forms of violence. When I speak of black breath, I speak about the gentrification of neighborhoods, an act which often includes planting trees that, as one young black boy puts it, aren't for us. Meanwhile, in neighborhoods not so far away, trees are cut down prematurely, and in predominantly black and brown neighborhoods like Inglewood, to make way for the space shuttle endeavor. When I speak of black breath, I speak of lynching in Emmett Till and Nina Simone's whale in Strange Fruit. speak of Eric Harris, who had the words, fuck your breath, screamed at him as he lay on the floor with a fatal gunshot wound in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Sandra Bland, who hung in her cell, of the Roots member, Black Thoughts Freestyle. on Hot 97 with Flex, a freestyle that lasted for over 10 minutes, and for anybody who has ever tried to rap for longer than three minutes, <laughs> you will know that is quite a feat, all right? I also speak of Thomas Jefferson eagerly detailing the ways that black breath was inferior to white breath.
and speak of Zong and the hundreds of enslaved persons thrown overboard, their gasp lost beneath the waves. I speak of the thousands and millions more unbearably crushed together in the hold of the ship. When I speak of black breath, I speak of I can't breathe. At once a wheezing out of a singular reality and a healing of the social, political, economic, and environmental phenomena surrounding Eric Garner's loss of breath. In truth, breathlessness was less a condition of Garner's death and more a condition of his living since, like so many black Americans, his life was marked by insecure breathing that resolved into a death marked by the chokehold. I can't breathe reverberated across black consciousness because it enunciated a social and political emphysema that began long before an encounter on a Staten Island street corner. My project, entitled Black Breath, locates a singular character of Garner's utterance among a larger and longer singularity of black breath, inviting readers to consider breath as shaping black life, death, and knowing in the United States. On Black Breath indexes the epistemologies and logics of modernity as a project of value extraction, racial, sexual, and gendered violence, colonial and imperial schemes, and disciplining in the name of order. And that's with a capital O. Simultaneously, the project indexes ever-fugitive, otherwise modes of black being, living, knowing, and making. The concept black breath operates as a lexicon through which we can read together new histories, theories, and philosophies of black life and black death and I trace breathing that emerges from the racialized body, how it is socially, politically, environmentally, legally, economically managed. And at the same time, I also concern myself with the metaphysics of black breathing, how vulnerability to loss of breath has been a formative figure in black performative, literary, and lived traditions. One that provides, if not a praxis of liberation, then a kind of radical sociality. Ultimately, black breath figures as more than subjection under capitalistic heteropatriarchal systems or as ceaseless resistance to these systems. Rather, black breath is a way of knowing the world, oneself and one's relation to the world, and it interrogates black phenomenology and ontology. And I'll briefly mention here that the, the larger project takes up different phenomenologies of breathing. Um, so, for example, one section takes up the um, fugitive breath, which I mentioned at the sort of start of this, this lecture, panting, how does that work? Um, in another section, I take up um, sighing as a sort of political tactic that's deployed by black women um, in movements. Um, in another chapter, I look at um, labored breathing, so coughing, for example, um, and, and occupational hazard and environmental racism, et cetera. So it's thinking through these different phenomenologies of breathing. But I'm not interested or invested in producing a taxonomy of breath, though I do outline different forms of breathing. Rather, I'm concerned with the ways in which apprehension of the breath, in the sense of knowing it and fearing it, has entered into and shaped modernity. In other words, I am concerned with how breath has served as the ground for social life and emerged as a potential for imagining other futures than our present and other pasts than our history. Part the two, holding space. We're going to try the breathing thing one more time. Let's see if it works this time. <coughs> whole space dwells with the suffocating cavity of the hold of the ship alongside the ostensibly endless possibilities of space. I use and not because I've never been interested in reproducing borders materially, virtually, or figuratively. And there is no secure border that exists between the hold of the slave ship and the hold of the spaceship. 
And if a border must exist, then I demand that it be at least porous, as porous as the lungs, allowing the two spaces to rub up against each other. Hold tarries with the resonant ties of the middle passage and the lost breath below the Kalapani. And space is a moment to tumble into what the space to breathe fully might look like. Far from dialectical opposites, whole space contends with the intimate relation between the two, offering both as epistemologies of blackness. And so that's why it's whole space. And there is no space between whole space, as you can tell. Um, I think that was clever, but maybe not. Um, and so, as I said, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about this tomorrow uh, in the open studio session. Um, but just quickly to go over some of the things that I'm doing in the project. Um, so parts of the project look at or produce breathing charts that I call them, right? Um, they're actually tracking the frequency of certain kinds of breath, the actual sound frequency of breath. And I make um, these breathing charts, as I said, they're sort of circular images, which I'll show in a second, um, that can be scanned um, using your phone or using um, your computer camera um, that then can erupt and sort of bring out of it um, other images, other data, other audio, video. Uh, and I'm really trying to play with what can be done with the sort of static image. Part of that also is very much thinking about um, how do we think about blackness and data. Um, so a lot of the images that I'm going to be producing or I have as part of the project, um, they are actual soundbar charts. But in the, the bar section, it's actually text from either audio clips that I'm using or their data about the person's life. Um, or there's not data, but information about the person's life, their interests, what they love doing. Because I really do want to center black life and living in the project and try to resist the sort of move which moves black, blackness towards sort of death or static um, existence when you're thinking about it in relation to data. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, I'm sort of working on. Another thing that I'm, I'm doing is uh, for the application that I'm producing, a lot of it's going to be controlled by the breath and the breathing, right? So I have you guys doing the exercise right now where you actually try to follow along with the breathing of the audio clip. And so one of the things that the app does is you're going to breathe into your microphone. Um, and depending on what kinds of breathing you do, it'll open up new sections, right? So depending on whether you pant, so it's about how fast you breathe into the microphone or if you sigh, so the long, slow release, it'll make certain sections emerge so you can actually look at it and others sort of stay like, submerged or opaque to you. So it's about trying to think about how the performance, the embodiment, all these questions come together with the actual um, information that I'm sort of sharing. Um, so let me see. Um, so for example, this is something that might pop up on your screen when you're doing the app and everything. Um, and then you'll have options for the certain kinds of breathing that you can do. Um, so this is one of the breathing charts, for example. Um, Right now, it doesn't have the actual text, um, but it would have the text instead of the bars that you can follow along with. So. <clears throat> While the project, which I call Critical Poetic, uses augmented reality and virtual reality as major parts of, the dig of its digital platform, there is nothing neutral, even in a digital environment, about doing histories of slavery. Technologies are congealed labor after all. And by this I mean to underscore the embodied work and material histories at play, from ideation to maintenance. That technologies are not only things, but processes as well. And the processes of technology have not made the realities of bondage or blackness easier to discuss. And we can think of many examples of poor design and implementation and execution. For example, Childish Gambino and the Google Play collaboration which happened in the spring, which I talked about in my Adhume presentation, um, but still remains a very interesting uh, example. Um, and I've always found the work of Sophia Noble and Ruha Benjamin to be really crucial for thinking through these things. The study of black life and culture must also accompany an ethical and moral concern with sustaining black life and sh shaping black futures. And I'll say it again because it bears repeating. The study of black life and culture must also accompany an ethical and moral concern with sustaining black life and shaping black futures. What this means materially is carefully centering my project around a concern between the line that sits between accounting and accountability. 
And what is accounting? There you have it. Accounting is that exact praxis and practice that turns lives into abstract figures, human bodies into objects, people into data. And I'm not the first to interrogate the role of accounting in the construction of blackness and the perpetuation of some of the most violent forms of dehumanization we see. Catherine McKittrick takes it up in her seminal piece, Mathematics, Black Life. Idea Hartman takes it up in Venus in Two Acts. And so do a host of other scholars, including Marissa Parham, Hortense Spillers, Denise Ferrier de Silva, among others. Accounting then, while it might provide a critical engagement with histories and realities of the world we live in, and while it can provide necessary evidence we need to have injustices attended to, does not provide us with a way outside of whatever we might call this. And part of this for me is also lies in questioning the sort of visual epistemologies that come with evidence or the idea of evidence, right? And how other forms of being and creation might not take us to questions of evidence, right? So if evidence is about proving this happens, if evidence is about the burden of proof always, um, how do we interrogate questions, how do we interrogate the visual and visual epistemologies and represent, representability? Um, and also how do we even begin to ask questions like, what do we need to do? What do we need to engage with to not further occlude violence that's not visible, right? Um, and so if we're always focusing on the visual and if we're always focusing on questions of evidence, what do we mask and what do we face in those moments? And so accounting struggles to contain the modes of being, feeling, and knowing that are discontinuous and messy because it, it is concerned with capital O, order. Blackness in its invisibility and ephemerality and breathing, like it is, escapes easy calculation and accounting. So then the question becomes, how to provide an account of opposition that figures nullification instead of contradiction? This is the difference between a radical engagement and a, so and a critical one. So for me, as part of my practice, I turn to a practice of mess. Mess is rubbish's cousin garbage is flesh and blood, akin to what Mary Douglas calls matter out of place. A mess is the only unit of measure that does not measure for order, but measure for the whole. It's simply enough of something to feed anyone and everyone that needs to be fed. Mess is also at its core an engagement with space and radical imagination, because there's meaning in mess, there's knowing in mess. Everything has its place, but nothing is in its place. And mess signals life and living because, believe it or not, mess is really hard work. I'm playing the breathing clip. Get ready. psychic responsibilities of creating a project that brings the digital and blackness together includes allowing for and encouraging messiness. And for some of you, that messiness can take different forms, right? So I think in black studies, one of the most frequent ones we turn to is Glissant's idea of opacity, right? Um, 
and what does that provide for the subaltern, for the minority, for the black individual who is trying to resist um, being understood or being seen by the colonial gaze, by the heteropatriarchal gaze, et cetera, right? Messiness in turn, in turn changes our engagement with texts and technologies and the habits by which we produce knowledge and think critically. It slows down how we read, changes our reading and thinking habits, and in the moment of using the digital, resists accounting and computational analysis of blackness and the rendering and rending of black flesh as data and from black life. But even mess needs to be held accountable. Accountable to black life, as I said, but also to black thought. For me, this is a deliberate citational practice that becomes almost hyper-citational, hyper-referential, hyper-relational. It's why I stop and I pause and I show every image that I can, play every clip that I can, return back to where I started with breathing. Part three, pending. So this, this, this digital project is not so much about the iconography or representational mimesis, so much as it is about initiating an absence and an invisible presence. To this, to this end, I found the metaphor of the palimpsest to be useful. A palimpsest, for those of us who may need a little bit of um, reminding, is a manuscript piece um, of writing that's on some sort of writing material, usually it's vellum, which is you know, the skin of a cow or a pig or any sort of um, animal um, that's been scraped and washed sort of how you can clean it off and make way for new texts, right? But because it's been written into the flesh of the actual animal, you have these traces of the previous text that are hidden in layers beneath the new text. Um, and so there's something there about the residual and the trace that we find in, when we're thinking about the palimpsest, right? Um, and I like to think through that with us in the Q&A session when we're thinking about AR and VR a little bit. And so part of the metaphor of the palimpsest is exactly that there are, there's not an, an easy one-to-one -one relationship or one-to-one -one ratio, because again, the metaphor, the whole purpose of a metaphor is to reveal the exact gaps where these things don't match on. Um, but I think it's a generative and rich overlap that we can think through. I came to whole space, not just as a concept, but as a material undertaking while searching for a black poetical engagement with black life. I wanted to create a whisper network, a constellation that could place in relation and grasp the scale of how breath figures in blackness from its totality to its particulars to its particulate matter. As such, it is always pending. To quote R.A. Judy uh, in their piece, the threat to the Islamic humanity after September 11, 2001, I've come to denominate this thinking as quote unquote pending in the sense of a suspension of determinate judgment. I mean its meaning and its possibilities are hanging, impendent or imminent. This use of pending is rare in the English language and an anachronism, yet it resonates precisely in the sense of that which is indeterminate because we are thinking about it in the duration of its happening. What I am suggesting is that because our thinking is pending in this way, it cannot seek grounding in familiar categories of knowledge and be adequate to understanding that with which it is occurring, that which is imminent. And so the project is always pending and always speculative, and it is always constantly breaking, becoming obsolete, and decaying. Right? Which is why it's so great that this is breaking, becoming obsolete, and decaying <laughs> in the act of looking through it. Um, OK, circle of death. We can talk about that as well. Um, and I say decay in addition to breaking and becoming obsolete because there is an organic aspect to the use of this technology, right? It's the human, oh, there we go, wow. Uh, okay. There's an organic aspect to this technology, to the fact that technology is a process, to using this technology, um, and to thinking about the, the central concern that this project has, which is life, right? And so, that decay is not trying to 
leave us anywhere, really, except where we want to wander ourselves. And I hope you allow me to be messy and end right here, which there was supposed to be a slide that said right here in that moment. Um, and uh, that is all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And if this ever like, you know, figures itself out and returns from the circle of death, I like to end my presentations with a huge page with all of the people that I cite or think with. Um, because I think it's one of those things where you're, you know, you're giving your own presentation. Sometimes you mention names, but there are a lot of things that are happening beneath the surface um, that you, people and theorists and poets and creatives that you need to pay like, respect to. Um, so I try to end my presentations with with a huge page um, with those names on it. Um, most of them are black feminist theorists um, because they're all amazing. Um, there's an occasional, if you read through them, I have funny stuff. So if any of you find the funny things, you can point them out <laughs> later on as well. If you're online, um, you can tweet them um, because that's also an important part of you know scholarship. So I wanted to open it up to Q&A. But also, aren't we all so amazed? I didn't cough once. I think it was like the. I think, you know, when you've got the focus going on and you like just like could take control of all of your bodily functions, you know, so, um, so I'm sure it's going to begin immediately, but um, yes, questions, discussions, as I said, talking to each other. For those of you who actually did the breathing with the audio clip, I'd be interested to hear about what your thoughts were in the moment now after you've like sort of listened to the presentation. What was, yeah, just anything. Yeah, you could. I, the way I run it is, you don't even raise your hand; just chime in, and also give me your name as well, so uh, we all know it. Yeah, my name is Mehdi. Okay. Uh, that breathing thing reminded me of this electronic novel uh, called *The Breathing Wall*. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have read it or not, mm -hmm. but in that novel, you have to breathe into the mic microphone mm -hmm. so that the novel sort of the action of the novel moves forward. Mm -hmm. And that breathing reminded me highly of that. So I tried to breathe fast to see what's happening next when yeah. I was reading that yeah. novel. So yeah, no, that's really great. Um, and that's one of the things I've been I've been working through. So how do you um, slow? Uh, so one of the things I'm trying to think through is how do we change people's critical thinking and reading habits, right? And so one of the reasons why I have different forms of breathing unlock different sections in the app is precisely to avoid that whole thing where people skip through to the end, you know, <laughs> you just pant your way to the end, which I don't know, that also is doing something, right? We can talk yeah. about that, but I think there is something to thinking about how do we work through breathing and how does that open up certain understandings of the theories that I'm trying to get at, you know? Um, or what does it mean to try to follow along with a rap song um, as part of the, the app where if you don't get the breathing right, you're gonna run out. Like when I, when I show um, Black Thoughts Freestyle, when I say it takes a lot to go to rap for 10 and a half minutes, it really does because he's going so quick with it. Like he's just on and on and he has to know exactly when to breathe and how much he needs to breathe so his voice doesn't crack and so he doesn't run out of breath, right? And so there is something there. And it's not, it's not circular breathing that he's doing. He's doing something else, right? Because circular breathing, when you're playing an instrument, you're inhaling and exhaling at the same time, but it relies on the air that's in your mouth. But the fact that when you're speaking, that actually uses air from your lungs. So what is he doing to like keep that tempo that fast? You know that that is so rich. But thank you for the for the recommendation. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, you just chime in. Just chime in. Yeah. Okay, sorry, <laughs> gotta get out of. Yes. Sorry, this is not this is not a classroom. Um, this is a discussion. So one, uh, you and I have talked about sort of like our converging approaches to the study mm -hmm. of breath in interesting ways, right? One thing that I found in my research that I actually cut out of the chapter was the technology of spirometry, yes. uh, breath yes. calculation. Yes. And one of the things that's really interesting to me about spirometry, I think we talked about this, is yeah. the way that uh, the data needs to be, or at least medical discourse mm -hmm. says it needs to be race corrected. Yeah. Uh, and so the technology itself becomes a tool of racialization, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that in contemporary digital spirometry, the race correction is built into the machine in a yes. way that nurses then don't know what's happening. Right. And so thinking with uh, you mentioned sort of technology, and maybe this isn't the exact mm -hmm. phrase you used, but I said it in my head and I loved it anyway, of like a congealed labor, right? Mm -hmm. um, how does breath get adhered within even like, you know, these kinds of technologies? How can we trace breath in that way? And mm -hmm. when we see the ways that our technologies are already designed to operationalize breath mm -hmm. in particular kinds of ways, how, what, like what's, I think you give us an amazing program for beginning how to rethink these, and I'd love to see just yeah. like, 
keep pushing at a next steps and how to rethink a technology that is off that is designed to operationalize ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean one of the things, and I bring this up, and I always do intrigue because I think it's such an interesting question to get at, which is the exact question of how do we take the technologies, the tools, the the theories, whatever it is, the creative productions that we have, and make them elastic enough to actually work outside of the structures that we have, right? Um, which is exactly, I think, the, the kind of question you're getting at. So we have all these technologies which are operationalizing breath and actually putting breath into the actual production of these things, and then we use it without thinking about how these things are racialized, how they're gendered, how they're sexed, in all these ways. Um, and one of the ways that I found to be most useful is, one, on the one hand, to to break things, to let them decay, to let them become obsolete, um, which is one of the reasons why I also am using augmented reality and virtual reality, because it's seen as so like on the cutting edge of the future, it's really great, but because it is so at risk of breaking, right, and not being able to be used and falling apart and all these things and becoming inaccessible in two years, you know? Um, we can think about how many Oculus glasses there are right now. Um, different VR headsets that they are and how terrible they all are. And they all give us motion sickness, so we can think about that too. Um, but it's exactly like the messiness of it, right? So like how do we bring back messiness into these sort of neat um, designs and these neat technologies that, again, erase all of the labor or erase all of the, the social constructs that are behind them, right? And so, again, for the spirometer, like, if we're thinking about how that's not a known thing, then how, when you actually go and take a spirometer, does everybody know what a spirometer is pretty much? Like, you go and you blow into it to test your lung function, um, and that was designed, when it was being designed, it was designed and tested upon white men, and then it was also tested upon enslaved and black people. And the, the, one of the things that really ties it together is that how it was because the lung function of black people were seen as being lesser than white people that was the reason why some Southerners and some Northerners and lots of people who believe in slavery thought it was a good idea to have black people be enslaved, right? The, the, the logic being that how, well, because they're biologically inferior, let's have them work on the fields and that'll make them stronger. And that's what we want. This is for their health, right? It's, there's a whole sense of, I don't know what, we can call it logic, but that's, that is something else. Um, and so it's exactly about like revealing those histories and like interrogating the technology we use in the moment, right? And so that is exactly why, like, you know, as I'm using AR and VR, I want things to break because I don't want that ease of slipping into any sort of embodiment that you might think, right? Because what I don't want to happen is for someone to come up to the project and to, to use the technology, to use the AR or the VR, go on the website, whatever it is, and emerge from it and say, well, I have experienced black breathing when they are themselves not embodying that, right? So how do we resist that? How do we solve that from the get-go? It's by breaking things it's by letting things decay. It's by making sure that certain things are not accessible. Um, and so putting that into the actual thing, I think, makes it very difficult and makes you have to do work. And part of it also is about the, the hyper-referential, hyper-relation, hyper-citational aspect of it is it how everything that you, you see is referencing six other things, right? And so how do we make this so overwhelming and so complicated that you can't have this sort of ease of just stepping into another body or another sexuality or another gender or what have you, um, and then stepping back out and seeing you have empathy, which is not what we want, right? Because um, we know how dangerous empathy and sympathy can be, right? Um, yeah. Has there been any research done on intubated patients and race? Oh, and I how they change? Yeah. Having personally been intubated yes. for over a yes. week yes. when yes. I was still yeah. partially conscious. Yeah. It's the worst thing on earth to have someone force breath yeah. on you when it's not your yeah. normal breathing pattern. Mm -hmm. Or to stop the machine yeah. to clean it. Mm -hmm. And I would I think it'd be really interesting to find out how they change the yeah. amplitude of yeah. what they're doing or yeah, no, that's great. it would be a really fascinating way to look. Or how often do they think they need to clean the machine? <coughs> or how many mm -hmm. people, you know, did they, should they have knocked me out for that entire right. period? Right. Or, you know, and if they did, did they make the decision because I was white mm -hmm. and an old woman? Right. Or, you know, there, there's all sorts of gender yeah. and race things with 
going on in those ICUs. Yeah. It would be really fascinating wow. to start really looking at that. Because yeah. I've been looking at um, premature babies um, mm -hmm. and what happens then, because we, I hope we all know at this point um, that black women are like far more prevalent, like have a higher chance of having premature mm -hmm. births, and not only that, but you know, dying from mm -hmm. just giving birth, right? Which should not happen. We're supposedly in a first world country. Um, and so I've been looking at premature births and like what that's doing because of the artificial air, you have to like mm -hmm. wear the um, the lines that give you the breathing. I'm thinking about that in and of itself, um, but I hadn't thought of intubating and like intubated patients. Um, in ICUs, um, mm -hmm. so that's actually a really fantastic, I think, angle to think of when I'm thinking about the medicalization of, of breath. Thank yeah. you so much. And then I, w I wanted to add one more weird loop. Yes, from from my area. Yes. Um, when we're trying to, I don't know if people know that in order to do unison on stage, quite yeah. often it's a breath mm. from one individual who cues the rest. You can't always hear it, but usually she's she or he. Mm -hmm. I like to see women dancing. I also like to see men dancing. But you know, there's there's a cue mm -hmm. that's a breath cue. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which, if the dancers have worked together mm -hmm. and breathe together, they can get their heart rhythm together. They mm -hmm. can get all of the movement together, mm -hmm. and it's used all the time. Yeah. So that's really that would be yeah. really interesting too, mm -hmm. is to find out, you know, why a particular dancer is breathing. Mm -hmm. I have to go look at this. Mm -hmm. um, or oh, is really like the breath person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really great. I've been thinking about that in terms of like, in terms of performance. I've been looking at a lot of Susan Laurie Parks mm -hmm. plays because oh, she actually cues yeah. that into yeah. her actual yeah, plays. Yeah, she puts it in there, right? Yeah. Which is really like fascinating. What is that doing there? Mm -hmm. um, but I think also like dancing is another good example of what's happening with the breath um, and how we use and everything. But I, I like this figure of the person who leads the breath and breathing, right? Because I am trying to think through also collective breathing. So one of the, the aspects of the application that I'm working on is um, collecting all the tweets that are around student hashtags, like um, I can't breathe or Black Lives Matter. I'm actually going to trace the frequency um, over a period of time and then produce, again, the same sort of breathing charts. Um, to try to think about how these collective, these are collective moments of breathing together and also collective moments of mourning, right? Or collective moments of anger and what's happening in these moments. How does it affect the actual like, collective breathing of groups who are responding to these things? Um, but I like this idea of the person who leads the breathing, um, the, the unison of the breathing um, in all ways. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Just chime right in. Thank I don't believe you. in that whole. I know. Right? I'm, I'm being polite, but thank you very much. Um, the thing that kept coming to my mind was the power, right? So I looked at the definition of breathing beyond just the inhalation and exhalation of the lungs. It's this notion of like the power of breathing itself. And it reminded me of your opening clip around the breath. I wasn't aware that that was from underground, right? Yeah. And so my first thought when I heard it was, is this actual sound from the moment, for example, with Eric Gardner, or another moment in which these, this violence was inflicted and then that was sort of adapted, right? Um, and what's behind it, essentially? That was the question I was asking myself um, around that, whether it was an abuse of power in that moment, um, the power and the force of the breath, etc. Um, so that's very kind of windy way of asking me to think of, um, to talk to us a little bit more about your your epistemology, if you will, because I'm yeah. really interested in your conversation around black feminism mm -hmm. and as it relates to, for example, the palimpsest and again, what's behind or what undergirds your work mm -hmm. around black feminist practice mm -hmm. in your work um, and what influences you around sort of defining breath and its various variations. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think the, the sort of black feminist scholars that I turn to always for thinking about breath um, are figures like Christina Sharp, which I think for a lot of us um, is sort of like a, a grand and tall figure. Um, but also, I mean, and obviously people like Horton Spillers, um, people like uh, Bernice Reagan Johnson, um, or Johnson, yeah, um, Ella Baker, all of these, these figures who are taking up breath and breathing, or even Harriet Jacobs, like I said, who I think of as a, a black feminist theorist um, in her own way. Um, but also a lot of work that's being done by poets, right? So Claudia Rankin, for example, in uh, Citizen, has her whole meditation on sighing and exhaustion um, and being exhausted with the moment. And one of the things I think um, that breathing does for not just the black feminist theorists that I'm talking about, but I think a lot of black cultural production, a lot of black thought, um, 
is that it sort of undergirds a lot of the work that's being done because it is so embodied. Um, but it, again, because of its everydayness, it gets kind of lost at moments, right? So if we're thinking about, um, again, Christina Sharp thinking about aspiration, where she marks it as this sort of moment of, in which individuals, or not individuals, but communities are thinking through weathering a storm or weathering the, the hard work of being in the week, right? Um, or if we're thinking about aspiration in, I don't know, the, the work of Matthew Johnson, um, who is an enslaved woman in the 19th century who wrote a very short, short um, autobiography, but at the very beginning she talks about um, screaming and running away, right, from her enslaver, uh, and we can all imagine why. I think one of the things that pops out from black feminist theory for me in their engagements with, with breath is that how they are not trying to replicate the violences, right? Um, they try to attend to it carefully, and I, I say carefully, fully spelled out, like C-A-R-E-F-U-L-L-Y, right? So it's full of care. Um, and that's exactly why when I'm working through what texts I use and what objects I use, I don't, for example, play the Eric Garner, I Can't Breathe, right? And that's exactly why I chose to begin with the underground breathing, right? Because it is a breathing that speaks to Eric Garner. It is a breathing that speaks to all these instances of spectacular violence, right? And it is from a TV show that is about enslavement, and he's running away from fugitive like fugitive uh, slave catchers. But at the same time, it's not replicating something that's so extremely damaging and violating for a lot of people. And I want to be very careful about that line, which I think a lot of black feminist thought is very careful about that line in ways that I think a lot of other theories are not, right? Um, so how do you not abstract, but remain very close to materials, and yet at the same time, how do you not replicate that exact violence by describing exactly what's going on, right? And so that's sort of where the black feminist theory like sort of undergirds the entire project. How do you avoid replicating the exact violence that's being happening? So that's also why I don't show the scene, you know? Or all of it. that's why I show the, the pictures of Sandra Bland and Eric Harris in their moments of living, right? And not just like the moments of the violence or the violation of the videos of them. And part of that is exactly that black feminist like commitment to life and living. Um, that's not Afro-pessimist or sort of anything, yeah. I hope that gets to, yeah. I appreciate your yeah. attention to care. Um, I also, if you can flip back to the slide with this, this bigger yes. installation. If, if this uh, slides back, we'll see. Yeah. The circle of death. Um, yeah, it might be no, right You know now. what, let me, let me just do this. I'm making go from there. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that was so compelling to me. I remember yeah. seeing it in person, and yeah, yeah, it's the installation is massive. It, it is take up most of this room. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way, and actually, the video is moving kind of fast, but mm -hmm. the breath. Uh, really deflates and it's a slow process mm -hmm. and it makes you really pay attention to mm -hmm. that. So I thought that Sanford Biggers did a good job <coughs> at making you have proximity to mm -hmm. deflation without putting you into harm. So yeah. I didn't know if yeah. you had any other thoughts about that, about like describing the proximity of harm but also not placing people in harm while doing yeah, no, um, I, thank you for those thoughts. I also went to go see it, so I'm glad to see someone else uh, went to see it as well. Um, and it's exactly that, right? It's about how do you attend to, right, these violent and violating moments. And these moments are not just like spectacular moments, like Aragona, but they're also everyday moments, like struggling with asthma, you know? Um, how do you attend to them without putting people in harm's way when they're trying to think about it? How do you, put, how do you not put people in harm's way psychically um, when they're trying to like work through these things without abstracting, right? And so I also agree. I thought that how um, Sanford Bigger's um, installation was a really great example of trying to think through it. But I think even in those moments, like I think the important thing also to think through is not being in harm's way does not mean that how you're not also grappling with pain. Um, and I also think that's very central to, to Black feminist thought and also my own work, like you're, you're supposed to work, right? Like that is why one of the things I wanted you guys to do was do the breathing. Like you have to work at this. And if it's easy then, and if it's not painful, then what are you doing, right? Like you're just sort of brushing over the surface level. And so walking into that installation is painful, 
right? Like you're not escaping the pain, but you're not sitting there and you're wa watching a video of what's happening, right? And so I think that is a really thin line to thread. Um, and sometimes it leans over into one or the other. Um, but I think it's something that I, I try, again, I try to build it into how I'm thinking about these things moving forward and how I'm using the technologies in all ways and, and forms. You just said something else that I'm kind of yeah. thinking through. And Sean Crowley, and then for mm -hmm. music, most mm -hmm. often like Aretha Franklin, some of the mm -hmm. breath patterns are very yeah. much the same when she's talking about playing and pleasure. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think you cited Flying Lotus, like yes. even though there's not breath, the yeah. tempo of the music makes you feel both pain and pleasure. Yeah. So, yeah, no. my, my like simple thought to that is that how that's life, like black life, right? Mm -hmm. And like that's what I'm trying to get at, right? Because like, and again, this kind of goes to, I think, my thoughts on Afro-pessimism as like shaping the field in certain ways, black studies in a certain way. Um, because I think Afro-pessimism is really rich, but I think what it does is exactly what I'm trying to avoid, which is like, it accounts for certain things. Um, and it accounts for anti-blackness, but it doesn't account for a living, which gives pleasure and mm -hmm. brings pain and it's very messy. Um, so I think about pleasure in another section, which is not explicit in this, in this um, project, but I think about pleasure and queer pleasure, um, and how black pleasure is always already sort of queer in certain ways, um, in exactly hip-hop, right? So thinking about like how hip-hop artists are like working through pleasure, even as they're working through pain, because a lot of, I think, rap songs are referencing people who die, you know, people who might die, their own death. And so what is that doing there? And so I think that plays out in sort of stretching and, and conflating temporalities in, in interesting ways. Um, and so I don't address it explicitly, but I think in just the structure which of the actual application, which is collapse. I don't want to use collapses because that seems it's flattening out, but I think it merges in certain ways. Um, some scenes like the Sanford Biggers with a more pleasurable thing like a kid laughing, you know. And so, like, how do we think about those two juxtapositions like together, and how do you deal with the tensions that arrive? That's how I sort of get at it, but I don't explicitly try to explain anything in the actual app. Yeah, but thank you. So I've had moments where yeah. this kind of hashtag black boy joy, yeah. as you said that. Um, it is this moment of like a kind of simultaneous happiness to see them so happy, right? Yeah. And then a misery yeah. at the kind of reality they face. So I think that kind of the need to kind of contemplate and think about both in tandem and in conversation is really important. Um, so this is kind of removed, but when you were talking about rap, I had thought about there's a YouTube video going around about a young woman rapping, um, look at me now. Have you seen this? I have not. Um, that it, it's the, uh, <laughs> is it worth Brown. pulling up? Do you, huh? think, do you think it's worth pulling up? Oh, no. It's just, it's just her, <laughs> she knows the song and she's rapping the song. Um, so basically it kind of looks like what would be a wedding reception where there's a bunch, like a crowd of people that I think she knows and then it's her and a kind of hype man mm -hmm. and she's rapping. Mm -hmm. um, Busta's part, which is like the fast mm. part, right? So yeah. it's kind of this demonstration of her ability, her talent, um, and she's rapping the words of a well-known male rapper, right? So there's a lot of layers here to gender and performance, but putting that kind of visuality of black woman's voice in conversation with, let's say, like a New York type character, right? The kind of loud, um, really obnoxious, right? A lot of people look down on that kind of performance of black mm -hmm. femininity. So it's interesting to think about what are the kind of contexts and ways in which we engage specifically here black woman's voice, right? When yeah. is, is voice and breath acceptable, even impressive? And when is it um, condemnable? When is it pathological? When is it um, threatening, right? And it's interesting to think about what had to happen in that space, what kind of containment had to be implied for her to be seen as 
admirable, right? Yes. Um, and then if she breaches certain lines, like at one point she looks at the camera and she like comes at it like that, and you can imagine if you were looking through that lens, oh, all of a sudden it might cross a line, right? right. So how do we kind of understand yeah. when that line is crossed, right? Yeah. And it's not the same for everyone, but like what what kind of action, what kind of things, whether it's the digital, whether that's the corporeal, when does that become threatening? When is threat emerge from that? Is a really interesting thing. To no, me. that is really interesting. I mean. You're absolutely right, I think, like thinking about those, those tensions. And they're like, I think they're necessary tensions, right, um, to, to work through and to, to think through and to, to live through. Because we live through it, right? Um, well, some of us live through it. Um, but I think that's exactly right. Like, when does breath shift embodiments um, in certain ways, like with the voice and all these things, which is also why um, I don't read a lot of the quotes that I have um, for a very particular reason, um, um, except the R.A. Judy, which I had to on account of my program dying, um, but I think exactly that question of how do you overlay certain kinds of breath with each other, and again, she's in that moment of performing this rap and expressing her own breath, right? She is referencing or, or replicating or following the breath of this other male rapper, so how do those two, those two temporalities merge into each other, I think is really fascinating, yeah. Maybe this is the natural conclusion of oh. our conversation in the group. One more thought? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, you can I'm also sure. find me afterwards. I'll yes. be here. Um. So I think we'll break up into smaller conversations yeah. at this point, but let's thank Kim one more time for a great talk. Thank you guys.